0: Grab your Bibles and meet me in Genesis chapter 46 this morning. Uh, We will be started in verse 28, picking up where the story left off this past week. What we're going to see at the beginning of this story is that Joseph is finally going to meet his father, Israel. He's finally going to come to the front. He's bringing all of his brothers, and he's going to bring them all before Pharaoh. They're going to have audiences with Pharaoh the king. And then finally, he's going to settle all of Israel into the land of Goshen. Let's read These passage together. Genesis 46, verse 28, and we'll stop um, at verse 12. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I've seen your face and know that you're still alive. Israel is so happy he literally could die here. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and I'll say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls to you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Fun little note there. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come to the land of Canaan, and they are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? Kind of like a where do you come from, where do you go kind of thing, right? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. And and they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen." Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. If you know any among the men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. This is amazing. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh blessed, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The the days of the years of my sojournings are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. In the best of the land, the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh has commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Let's stop there for now. So again, the way the story opens is with Joseph finally meeting his father again. This is after um, 30 years of being separated away from him. This is a long time that Israel was in uh, the belief that his son was dead. They come out, and there, you can imagine this would have been an incredible moment between father and son. Just imagine, just for a moment if you can, that one of your children or one of your siblings or someone in, that you love died, that you thought that they died, and 30 years later, 30 years of suffering, 30 years of thinking that they were dead, and now you are seeing them again face to face. This is an incredibly powerful moment. And Israel says he's literally so happy that he could die. As The first words out of his mouth is, I've seen my son. (laughs) Let me die, you know? It wouldn't be until 17 years later that he would actually die, that we'll see later at the end of this story. But there's such joy here. There's such joy between this. You could imagine Jacob and Israel having this kind of hug it out moment where, you know, Joseph hangs on his father's neck and has himself just a good old cry again. This is good. This is right. And then Joseph gives his family, both his father and his brothers, the game plan. The game plan is to get them to Goshen game plan by which they are going to be saved, the way that their family is going to th- not only survive but thrive in the land of Egypt is by settling them in this land called Goshen. Now, Goshen is significant here in Hebrew because as it's mentioned, it's mentioned as the best part of the land, the good of the land, and if you're in Hebrew, and I know that this is in a Hebrew lesson, it's one letter off from the word garden. garden. Now, where have we heard that before? got to get to the garden. Let's, the place of flourishing, the place of good is in the garden. We've heard this story before. So Moses is giving us a wordplay on this word garden to show the significance of this place of where they would eventually settle in Egypt. So Joseph's game plan is to have them settle in this place and to use the fact that, that, that shepherds were an abomination to, uh, to the Egyptians as the game plan to get them there. It's Precisely the thing that would have had them hated in the eyes of the Egyptians, that's the bargaining chip to get them to settle in the best of the land. So, what happens is, Joseph brings his brothers before Pharaoh. There's two audiences with this godlike king that he gets. One is with his brothers and Joseph. Right? They go in, they have a conversation about their occupation. They say that they're shepherds. And you can, you can kind of imagine in the story, if this was the Jesus Storybook Bible, you know, Pharaoh is holding his nose talking to these people now that he knows that they're shepherds. Like, he does not like these guys and says, well, how can I get them as far away from as possible? And the game plan is, okay, we've got to get them to Goshen. But eventually it comes up as Pharaoh's idea. He's like, he's bringing it up. Let's put these guys in the penthouse. Let's put the shepherds, the dirty shepherds, in the best place of all. It almost seems counterintuitive. I mean, here, it doesn't make much sense. It's kind of like uh, the, the, if you were to go to the White House and say, uh, and have an audience with the president. And first of all, that would be an incredible honor, right? And then say, I want to sleep in the bedroom tonight. Can I stay here? Can I just set up shop? Can I live in here? That's what they're asking And he actually gives it to him. He's like, yeah, come on in. You take that, I'll take the rest of it. We'll separate and you you can have that place. It's incredible what happens here. And Joseph then afterwards brings his father before Pharaoh. And you can imagine just how rickety Israel would have become at this point. I mean, this dude is 130 years old. He is incredibly old. I don't know if you've ever met anybody around the age of 100 or getting on up there in years You get a little rickety, and so like it even says he took him and stood him before Pharaoh. So you can imagine him like wheeling him in on his like a Near Eastern wheelchair, taking him and kind of propping him up somehow, so that Jacob could stand before Pharaoh. It's kind of like a comedic thing. And then not only that, the what happens before Pharaoh is Israel blesses Pharaoh. This would have been incredibly uncommon. This is like showing up. Uh, before Bill Gates and saying, yeah, hey, hey, bro, I got you a pair of socks. I know you really needed this. He blesses the one of higher value. Uh, he blesses the one of higher status. This would have been unthinkable. And probably some, something with the phrase of like, long live the king, which had been kind of normative at that time period. Maybe that's the thing that prompts Pharaoh to ask him back, well, speaking of long life, speaking of living long time, how old are you, old man? And Pharaoh gets a little bit more than he bargained for here. Uh, have you ever been in a conversation where you ask somebody like, hey, how you doing? I'm just kind of in passing. And they give you like 50 minutes of their life story. And you're like, whoa, I was not expecting. I did not want all of that. That's kind of what happens between Jacob and Pharaoh here. He asked him, how old are you? He tells him, but he also includes some pretty ridiculous commentary here. He says, I'm 130 years old, but not only that, few and evil have been the days of my life. How could you say 130 years are few? Well, if one of your great-great-great-grandpas lived to like Methuselah, like 900 years old, maybe you could say few have been the years of your life. Maybe your expectations on living long time were a little bit higher. We don't have those expectations, right? Like, 76, and I'm good, bro. Like, I'm good. You know, we've lived a long and fruitful life. If I, if I make it anywhere around 80. But Israel here is saying 130, just a drop in the bucket. Few. But not only that, evil. He's right. Just think about the life of Jacob, right? Dishonoring his father, playing tricks on his brother, running for his life for years. He goes to Laban. He gets tricked by Laban, right? He's in love with Rachel, but in the morning it's Leah. Disappointment. Seven years, 14 years laboring under his uncle Laban, not only to have children there, but even within his own family. Marital strife. Now he's got two wives, then four wives, and all these kids, and the birth war stories. Not only that, you trace and continue to trace the turmoil in his family and in his life. It is suffering, disappointment, death even. His beloved wife, Rachel, dies in childbirth. My goodness. Jacob's life has been marked with suffering. It has been marked with death. It's been marked with evil. This is true. But... Jacob's audience with Pharaoh ends with him blessing him again. He blesses him again as he's being carted out of the room. And it's pretty odd because, again, the person of, of higher status would normally bless the person of lower status, not the other way around. Jacob, For Jacob, to bless Pharaoh here must be that he really does believe what was promised to his, great, his grandfather Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, verse 3, you remember the promise. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you and your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This blessing that Israel shows here shows that he really does believe this promise. It doesn't matter that Pharaoh looks like he has all the power and all the world at that time, all the food, all the money, all of everything... In the eyes of God, the promises of God reside with with Israel here, with Jacob. They outweigh all earthly power and authority that he could ever possess. And look what happens next in verse 11, the end of this particular story. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, the best of the land, the land of Ramses as Pharaoh had commanded And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. See, Pharaoh's response to the blessing that Jacob gave over him was blessing in return. And he grants the request of his crazy brothers that gives them the best of all the land of Egypt, the land of Goshep. the land that they are not only given a place, but they're also given a purpose did you also pick up on that? That Pharaoh not only says, hey, give them the land of Goshen, but hey, if you know of any able-bodied men who, you know, whose job it is to oversee livestock, have them be in charge of all of my animals as well. They're given a place. They're given a purpose. And this passage ends with them being given provision, food, food in abundance. And for their entire family, all of their needs are met. Where have we heard this before? A place given, a purpose given, and provision given. This is a replay again of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. In the beginning, man is made by God in his own image and placed in a garden, a place of flourishing, like this family is placed in Goshen. Mankind is given a job to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion over the animals. In Genesis 1 and 2, and here this family is given a job over the livestock. And also man is given food by God in Genesis 1. They can eat of any tree in the garden. They are given provision just like Joseph provides for his family here. See, Moses' intent in giving us these words and writing these words like this isn't just to show us, look how cool this story is. What we are invited to do in this moment as the church reading these scriptures that are living and active for us right now is to see that God's intent for all time is for his people, that he has called for himself, to be in God's place where flourishing exists with him, that we are to live under God's rule where we joyfully submit to his kingly and kindly rule over all things where we as followers of Jesus are experiencing his presence and blessing, life everlasting, the eternal life that Jesus promised us in the gospel with unfading joy. This is what we're being invited into, this glimmer of hope all the way back in Genesis. This is God's revealed plan for all time. It doesn't mean at this point in the story that we know every and all of the details about how God is going to accomplish this. But thankfully, this story continues, and we are given more of a glimpse of how God is going to make his divine game plan a reality. The remainder of chapter 47, we're going to read in in just a minute. And uh, we're going to see two main things that happen at the remainder of 47. They'll come up on the screen as well. First, the Egyptians are going to give everything they have over to Pharaoh in order to be saved from the famine. I mean, they're going to start with giving their money for food, Then they're going to give their possessions, their livestock up for food, and they're going to finish with giving themselves and their land up as slaves. While the Israelites are flourishing in Goshen. Then finally, Jacob makes Joseph promise to bury him in Canaan. That's how the end of this chapter concludes. Now a word of caution uh, before we read to the rest of the chapter. Uh, We've got to read this passage in the light of, Of the biblical history where it finds itself. Now, I know for some of us, you're going to read through these verses, and some bells are going to start going off in your head, and you're going to start thinking, man, not only is Joseph complicit in implementing a system of socialism here, but it seems like he's got leading the charge. I thought Joseph was the hero here, right? Like, oh no, what's happening to Joseph here? Now, what we got to do is, however we feel about that, We need to remember that this isn't a prescriptive meaning that everything contained in the Bible is endorsed by the Bible. This is a descriptive account of what happened here. And either way, the Bible certainly wasn't written to make us comfortable. It was written to point us to our need for salvation and what God ultimately does about it. I found this quote from Gerhard von Rad in Kent Hughes' commentary particularly helpful. and It will come up on the screen for you as well. He, he writes, the expositor must resist as much as possible the question of the extent to which Joseph's measures stand the test of modern opinion. The ancient narrator is honestly amazed and wants the reader also to be amazed at the way an expedient was found to save the people from a gigantic catastrophe. The word expedient just means a solution. A solution was found The point of this passage is for us to be amazed at the way in which God saves here. And he saves differently. Let's jump into the text at verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, "'Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone.' And Joseph answered, "'Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock.'" If your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds, the livestock are my Lord's. And there's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes? Both we and our land, buy us and our land for food. And we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So so Joseph brought all the land of Egypt before Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields. Because the famine was severe on them, the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, they made servants of them. From one end of Egypt to another. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh, and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And all the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please our Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. They gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, He called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if i found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bear me in their burying place. And he answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. In summary, God provides a means of salvation for both the Egyptians and his people. Egypt is saved from famine. The Israelites are saved from famine. God's blessing is enjoyed by the Egyptians through salvation provided by the plans of Joseph. Remember the promise given to Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. This is the blessing of God upon Egypt the saving of their lands through the hands of Joseph here. Maybe you noticed in the language of verse 27 that when Israel settled, though, in the land of Goshen, they gained possessions, and they were fruitful and multiplied. Again, where have we heard this before? This is Genesis 1 again. This is God's covenant blessing echoed all the way back from page one of the Bible, showing God's special blessing that Joseph's family receives here in this garden land of Goshen. God is with them, and he is the source of their blessing. But this story doesn't end on just the note of blessing. It doesn't end on just the note of triumph here. This passage ends on a somber note with the reality of death. See, Israel makes Joseph swear that he will not bury him in Egypt. He makes him swear to take him all the way back to his homeland, back to Canaan, and bury him there. Why would he do this? Why would he make him promise this way? Why would would he care about where he's going to be buried here? See, this shows Jacob's faith in the promise of God, that the promise that was given back to Abraham To His father Isaac, he believes this promise as well, that that land is going to be a means by which the future promise is going to come. God was going to make good on his promise to give them that land of Canaan. It was going to be the land where God dwelt with them. See, we must remember that that although God's blessing is with them there in Goshen, they were made for the garden. Israel was made for the garden. All of us are made for the garden. So maybe you and I feel like things are going pretty well. We have even experienced blessing at the hand of God. We feel like things in our life are going pretty well. Remember, though, you were not made for Goshen. You were made for the garden. You're made to dwell with God in perfect unity. You're made to dwell in a new heavens and a new earth where all things are united under God's good rule. C.S. Lewis is credited with saying that if we have longings that cannot be satisfied by this world, it would seem that we are made for another one. See, if we were made for more than what this world can offer, it means that we are made for another new world. I mean, you and I long for this each and every day. I mean, even the meals that we eat point us to a future reality of something better, something more, right? Just think about the best meal you've ever had in your life, where you want to go back and experience it again. But even more than that, don't you want to experience something even better? Like, what could be better than, like, the best steak you've ever had? Or what could be better than the, the best bowl of ice cream you've ever had in your life? What could be better than those things? I don't know. I do know that those things will exist, though. I do know that there's something in me that longs for something that I cannot be satisfied here in this earth. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and, and, and you're really doing work and doing business with these claims of Christ, know that that internal struggle that you have right now with, why can't I be satisfied with the job that I have? Why can't I be satisfied with the things that I have? Why can't I be satisfied with these incredible experiences I've had? It's because you were made for something more. You were made for not only good, but for perfection. Isn't that good news? That that, that that actually is a reality? See, though, this story points us that that is the reality. That is the good news. When while we are still unsatisfied here, we're made for the garden. I'm, I'm here to tell you that the way into the garden Means and requires death. This reality of death that we are stuck with. Jacob shows us this hope in a future promise, the only way to get back to where God is, the place where he dwells, to gain those promises. There's something in it that we have to process through death. See, let's see the glimpses in this story about the way in which it shows us the way back into the garden. See, like Joseph in this story, the rescue plan of God seen in the gospel of Jesus is through the sending of a son, and that son going through the pit of death. See, Jesus left his place on high. Jesus, the God-man, one with God from all of eternity, left his position of power and authority and might, and was born as a human. Like he had a belly button. He needed his diapers changed. He experienced real human life. God did in our place, and he left that place on high willingly, unlike Joseph being taken from his position. But like Joseph, he was betrayed and suffered unjustly, and Jesus Through his death, he saw it as a way to save his own as they thought he was dead. Jesus' disciples all thought he was dead. They were mourning his death the day that he resurrected from the grave. They were despondent. They thought he was dead like Israel thought that Joseph was dead. See, Jesus makes a way for us to experience flourishing As we wait for the ultimate fulfillment of the promise, like Israel waited for the promise of the land, for us this fulfillment of that promise is the making of all things new. And like the reality of death in this story, we must pass through death to obtain the promise of eternal life. See, Israel knew death was coming, but he trusted God to keep his promises to him anyways. Jesus would say this in John chapter 11, He would proclaim to those listening to him, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says this incredible thing, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were building their faith towards, that there was this resurrection coming, and that for us, Who believe in Jesus in order to experience this new life in him we must die and that the good news is that Jesus has already died in our place for us he has already passed through death so that we can experience life for us in the right here and the right now where Abraham Isaac and Jacob knew that death was coming for them and they looked forward to that future promise we in this moment as the church on this side of Jesus' resurrection, can firmly grasp to the hope of the gospel that we can experience resurrection life right here and right now. In every area of our life, we have hope for resurrection life there. Think of the places of deepest hurt and sorrow and pain in your life. You may see your life like Jacob did. My days have been few and full of evil, through the gospel, Jesus wants to give us the gift of eternal life to see that that may have been the case in your past, but that does not have to be so in your future. You can suffer well, like Jesus. You can experience new resurrection, life in Him, and joy eternal and because of the good news of the gospel. And like the, the Israelites, like the Egyptians. We don't have to come to, to God like the Egyptians came before Joseph. We don't have to say, we're going to just all die here, so please take my stuff. Accept me, save me because of these things. I'm going to give you all this stuff so that I'm going to be rescued from death. In the good news of the gospel, we come with nothing before Jesus and gain everything in him. This is the free gift of eternal life. And the beauty of this is that once we do believe in Jesus, it's our good pleasure to give him everything we've got. Every ounce of us is now under the lordship of King Jesus, and it's our joy to do so. This is the good news of the gospel this morning. So if you're here this morning, and you're feeling burdened, come and get grace and life. If you're here this morning and you're suffering, come to the Savior who understands your suffering and he understands your sorrow. James chapter 5 tells us this. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now the power isn't in the oil. The power isn't in any human hands. The power is in Jesus and we really do believe that. We're about to move into a time of response. And, and the elders of Veritas are going to be at the back of the room. Elders are, are pastors here. We use those terms synonymously. We want to pray for you. We want to welcome you. If you've got something going on, are you, are you suffering? Are you in pain? You have something going on. You have a weighty decision. We want to pray with you. And the offer extends far beyond Sunday into the days of the week where you just need to grab a cup of coffee with one of your pastors. You need to come to our now temporary offices, which are awesome, by the way, and come and hang out with us and have us pray for you. We would love that. Let me pray for us and invite us into this time of response. Lord Jesus, in light of these, this passage of Scripture, I pray that we would really believe that you are the God promise, the one who has saved his people from famine, and the one who wants to meet us in our suffering. Lord Jesus, I pray um, that those among us this morning uh, that need encouragement would find it in you. Um, The ones that need um, hope would find it in the gospel. That the ones that are rejoicing this morning because of the joy that they found in Jesus, may they express it um, so that we may share in it. Uh, God, I pray um, that even after this gathering, we'd linger here, tell stories of your kindness, tell stories of your, um, the things that you are accomplishing, the things that you are doing in and through um, this church that, are in, that should be an encouragement to one another. God, I pray, um, give us words of encouragement for one another. Uh, may, us, may, may we track one another down and uh, refuse to have people leave here not encouraged um, by what we see you doing in their life because of what you've accomplished in the gospel. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.